1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go plumb to the end of it there. Verse 29 31, through 31. And just stay... When you get to that, go to the next chapter. We're going to read the first three verses of chapter 13. The last three verses of 12 and the first three <laughs> verses of chapter 13. All right, everybody there? All right, it says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, do you notice that he's speaking about the, the spiritual gifts? I am become a tinkling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we seem to always hear this chapter on charity apart from its context, don't we? which is spiritual gifts. Yeah. Uh, we just pull it out of context and it's, well, it's wonderful. It's good that way. You can get a lot out of it that way, but put it in its context and it, it means even more. There's another message here for us just because of that. <clears throat> it's tucked in between chapters 12 and 14, which deal extensively with spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 has been all about spiritual gifts. We haven't even touched chapter 14 which is mostly about tongues. The scripture we just read makes it clear that spiritual gifts are real and it is good to desire them. Nothing wrong with desiring spiritual gifts. Wanting to be a blessing because wanting to be used by God, wanting the Spirit to be able to manifest Himself through me or through some way. You know, there's nothing... Wrong in that itself. But here's the key tonight. What we're going to touch on here is the key to the whole thing. Makes it clear the spiritual gifts are real. It's good to desire them, but there's a more excellent way. There is something more important than spiritual gifts. They're not the most important thing. No matter how what a blessing they are, no matter how necessary they are for the church to operate and for the gospel to go forward and the kingdom to go forward, no matter how important they are for all of that, there's still something more important than them. Than something to be sought after that's infinitely more important than any of the spiritual gifts. Now we're all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, aren't we? We've memorized it and we've talked about it and I preached on it and preached on it and we've just... And it's one of everybody's favorite chapters because it... <coughs> charity. Love. Yeah. Who don't like love? Who don't like to talk about love? But that's about all we like is just to talk about it most of the time. As far as it goes with us. We're all familiar with it. Talks about charity or love. I like it because it says charity. You know, when you just say love, it doesn't carry the meaning no. that the Scripture gives here. I don't think it does. Right. 
I mean, love is a very cheapened word in the day we live in. <clears throat> we love everything. We love candy. We love ice cream. We love pizza. We love our car. We love our dog. We love everything. We love blue, red. We love. It's just cheapened down to where it's, it, it's, it's almost profaned, really. It's made common and unclean. It's applied to things that really it doesn't apply to at all. It shouldn't be used there. So when you put charity, it carries more with it. Yes. It, it transmits a message more than that cheap version of what we call love. It's more precisely in chapter 13, it's talking about the love of God. It's agape. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And we all know that the main thing that we come away from chapter 13 with is the fact that it, without charity, <laughs> nothing else matters. Right. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you give. It doesn't matter what you suffer. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what great thing you accomplish or what great work you build for God. Don't count for nothing if it's not done with a motive of charity. If it doesn't come from that, then it ain't, it's no good. The eternal rewards will be based on how we love, not what we do. You better think about that. Now I know he said we'll be judged according to our works, but our works are from love, or they don't count. Not on any great work that we've built or any great thing that we've accomplished or any great abilities that we had while we lived here on this earth. That's not going to be the criteria for our eternal rewards at the judgment. Say, what rewards? We're just going to heaven. No, there's rewards. More than just going to heaven. That's a side thing. The rewards are according to our works. Right. Now, what were my works done for? Why did I do them? From what motive did I operate? Was I trying to make a name for myself? Was I trying to be seen? Was I trying to get people to think better of me? Was my focus on me? Or was it on God and others? And me out of it. It's the only way it counts. So eternal rewards will be based on how we love, not on any great work. Jesus said the greatest commandment concerns <laughs> how we love. Didn't he? First God and then others. Our fellow man. Our neighbor. You love the Lord our God. You, you, that's the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second liking to it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that's the greatest commandment. It seems to me that modern Christianity is completely off the rails in this matter. It's popular to talk about love. Love, love. Jesus loves you. And this, this hippie generation and all, it's all been about love. But see, they've got it all, that love all mixed up to, with immorality. They call immorality love. And then they talk about God's love and how abominable to even bring the two together like that. It's popular to talk about love and to give lip service to the fact that Christians should love one another as well as others. But when it comes to how a Christian should live his life, 
It's much more common to hear different criteria put forth. Y'all listening to me? This is an important message. I I hope you get this tonight. It's very simple, and I won't be long. One, I got one page here. So if you'll listen fast, we'll be done fast, and you'll get this simple message <laughs> that'll help you tremendously. But when it comes to how Christians should live, it's a different criteria. Most people seem to be under the impression that they have to do something. If they don't have a job in church, or they don't do some great thing, or have some outstanding ability, then they're an inferior Christian at the best. Now that's what—that's how most people feel. Because <clears throat> they've been taught that way. Because most of what we've heard, all of us, since we've been saved and been in church, is that what we've heard is more like motivational speaking than preaching of the gospel. It's all about do, do, do. Go, go, go. Be something. Do something. Build some great work for God. If you don't do something great, you're nobody. Do something. Do something. We've uh, been given the impression that everyone should be a preacher or a deacon or a missionary or a teacher or else they're just not part of the work of God. I mean, if you're just... What, what, what are you doing in the ministry? Well, I come and I sit in the pew and then I go out and I work and I, you know, live, try to live like Christ before my neighbors and stuff. How much does that count? No, that's right. But, you know, Jesus said that many which are first shall be last. Many that are last shall be first. It's like Spurgeon talked about the wheel turning. That's just how it's going to be. I understand this, that, that when we stand before God, that's just how it's going to be. Somebody that was way back at the end of the line here is going to be in the front of the line there. And some of them that were in the front of the line here are going to be at the end if they're there at all. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God judges by different criteria than men do. And God is no respecter of persons, but men are. Now, this whole passage concerning spiritual gifts is dealing with this misconception about what, a Christ, what the Christian life should be about. You see the verses we read there? Are all, pro, uh, uh, you know, do all prophesy? Do all have the gift of tongues? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all, do all, do all? No. He's been through that. It's, we're all different members. And nobody's got all, does all of that. And every, and there's no way that everybody can be one member. We gotta all be different. We talked about that last time. Not everyone has a spiritual gift to exercise that makes them stand out from the crowd. Not everybody can sing. Not everybody can play. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can pray, even in public like that. Not everybody can do all the things that are a part of the church, the body of Christ. But... There's one thing that everybody can do and everybody must do, and that's have charity. Mm -hmm. That's right. From the smallest child to the oldest person. Every Christian, without exception, can and is supposed to have charity. 
It's the identifying mark of those who are the true disciples of Christ. John 13, uh, 35, Jesus said by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. He didn't say you'll this by, by the fact that they all build great churches with thousands of people. That's how you'll know they're my disciples. You'll know my disciples by the great crowds that gather around them. He didn't say that. No, there's this one criteria that identifies a true Christian. Charity. And it doesn't matter what else they do. Without that, it does not count. Doesn't count. It's nothing. That means it don't count. So it's more important to study and understand the true characteristics of charity than it is to know about and seek after spiritual gifts. Now the attributes of charity are given clearly. And, and spiritual gifts are anything. It's more important to know about charity, to practice charity, to have charity, to do everything you do from that motive. It's more important, that is, than anything else we ever do or want to do. I don't know how to put it any plain. The attributes of charity, are, they're given clearly in chapter 13. In the context of spiritual gifts, you go to Webster's Dictionary. Charity, in a general sense, love, benevolence, goodwill, is that disposition of the heart which inclines men to think favorably of their fellow men. To think favorably of their fellow men. To, and to do them good. That's what charity is. Did you ever hear anybody say, well, you ought to have a little charity. When you're criticizing somebody, just tearing them apart, eating them up. <clears throat> you should. We should. Where's your charity? In, in, in a theological sense, the dictionary says, it includes supreme love to God and universal goodwill to man. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Ha! That's charity. Alright. Charity will move us to do some things. Yes. Such as helping in the work of the church. Yes, sir. Charity will make you do that. It'll move you to do that. And that's good. Because... There has to be some things done or nothing's going to happen. We're getting ready to build a building out there. Well, that's going to take some hands and some eyes and some muscle and sweat and all of that and food. Oh, yeah, don't forget about that. But so somebody's got to do some things. Why should we do anything? Why should we even build a building? What's the motive behind everything we do? The only motive that counts. Yes. It'll, it'll move us to do some things, like helping in the work of the church, or going to a mission field, or preaching the gospel, or making great sacrifices for the benefit of others, and the furtherance of the gospel. Charity makes real Christians do those things. Now there's a lot of people that do those things but not from the motive of charity. 
Y'all will follow me. If, but if our motive is to stand out from the crowd, to build a great work for God, or to amount to something for God, love for God and others is not our motive. Pride is our true motive, and that is because we love ourselves. We know about love, but we love ourselves more than God and more than others. When we work from that motive, disinterested love is when there's... I I read that in some books and things, and I thought, that is a strange word, but I know what it means. Disinterested love is when there's no self-interest involved. But the motive is purely for the good of God's kingdom and the souls of men. Charity is disinterested love. Verse 4 in chapter 13 says, Charity vaunteth not itself. Verse 5 says, Charity seeketh not her own. Y'all get that? You're connecting there. you plugged in, got it all plugged in there and getting all that together. Charity has none of me in it. True charity. God's love shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost to do something, whatever I do, doesn't have me involved in it. If it's going to count for God. If God's going to count it. If it's, go- if it's really of God, it's going to be really of love. <clears throat> so anything we do in this life for God will be because we love and not because we want to be somebody for Christ. Now what are all of the Bible schools and seminaries and everybody, what are they teaching everybody nowadays? Their whole philosophy, like house, the whole philosophy there is to was to bring them there and replicate all over America what we've done here. I've heard them say it and say it and say it and say it. Where's love? Where's charity? Oh, it's in there somewhere just as a prop, but it's not the motive. The motive is our glory, our fame, our wisdom. Oh, how God has blessed us. No, wrong motive. Simple to see. The simplest person could see that. Yes, sir. Uh, If there's the slightest desire in our heart for fame, listen to me, or recognition, or praise from others, it's no better than doing it for money to put in your pocket. Same deal. That's how it looks before God. You're just a hireling. You're just doing it for the money. If you're just doing it, if there's anything in there that's trying to get yourself out there where you can say, you know, like, I got the gift of healing. I got the gift of tongues. I got the gift of prophecy. Listen to me prophesy. Why are all of these television ministries and radio ministries and everything, why are they named after the man who's doing the preaching? Or the woman. Joyce Meyer Ministries. That's exactly what it is. It's her deal. How many more could I name? They're all named that, aren't they? Got a man's name in front of him. Any doctrine, any, you know, just like Calvinism. That, just that alone tells me, big red flag, following a man. 
glorifying a man. It's a man's deal. Where's God? Mm. So this is the problem with mission work now. This is the problem with the churches now. The work of the churches now. How many missionaries have you seen that you really believe would go wherever they're going? Halfway around the world. Halfway, uh, you know, across the sea. Jesus crossed the sea for one person. One person. He didn't go there to build a great work for God. To put on a big spectacle. To work miracles and just wow everybody. He didn't go there to make a name for himself. He went there and and rescued that poor demon-possessed man. And everybody said, Go away! We don't want you here. Well, that's fame and glory, ain't it? How many do you know nowadays that would do that? Judson Taylor, uh, Hudson Taylor, Judson... Adoniram Judson, there you go. He went to India, Burma, over in that, and seven years buried his wife, all of his children, and had one convert after seven years. Why did he do that? Was he just bound and determined he was going to be famous? And he was going down in the history books, and all the church from the, every generation from now is going to know my name. No, no. I've read that, all about that. Him hanging, how they hung him between them trees and stuff, or posts or whatever it was, and left him there. <sighs> no cell phone, no email, no mail, no nothing. Nobody knew anything that was going on. And the same with a lot of those old missionaries, uh, John Patton that we read about. Mercy. That just. You read a book like that and it just makes such a permanent impression on you. And it wasn't, his motive was not to be a great. You remember reading about him hugging those old naked, stinking savages that killed and ate their wives and killed and ate each other and they were just filthy and as far, much like an animal as a human can get. And he wept over them. That's the motive. The only one that counts. So what's wrong with Mission Mark now? It's all about going and, and establishing some great work. Or many of them. So that everybody can see. That's why this didn't work for me. We were told when we got to the mission field, you better build a building before the year's out. I said, why? We ain't started no church. He said, well, you got to show them something. They won't keep supporting you. Build a building. Build a building with nobody there. And there was one right down the street from where we lived, isn't sure it? Fundamental Independent Baptist Church. There was never anyone there. Never any services. Never anything. Nope. It was just a building. It's a missionary built and took pictures. And so he could show his supporters so they would keep forking the money over because I'm doing something. Very few missionary letters have I seen through the years that impressed me, but I remember one, it was a missionary we've known for 45 or 50 years. But I remember he'd been over there for decades, 
And I remember reading his letter. He just, it wasn't defeat, but it was just like, you know, we really don't have much to tell. It's just hard. People won't come. We don't have very many. We're just doing, we're just doing, we're just going to continue to do what God sent us here to do. We're going to pray for people. We're going to talk to people. We're going to try to get people to hear the gospel. That ain't the kind of letter that brings in the cash. <laughs> I pity the souls of these people when they stand before Christ yes, sir. with that. Yes, sir. They're the very ones that are going to stand there and say, but, but we did many, we prophesied in thy name. In thy name we've done many marvelous works. We've cast out devils in thy name. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of iniquity. They did it for their own glory. They did it to impress others. They did it because that's what they was taught to do. It's a problem with the work of the churches now. It's just a show. I read Ravenhill a while ago. I read a little quote of his from years ago. And he said the churches now. He said... He said, you the laugh and the world will laugh with you. Weep and you'll weep alone. And he said, now the church is ha- are co- having comedians in to entertain them and look. Is that true? If it, was that true 50 years ago? Well, look at now. Tim Hawkins. You know. Think how far off that is. How grievous that is to God. That's what you're doing in church? Instead of weeping for the lost? Instead of preaching about loving people and the souls of men and God? You're laughing at a profane comedian? Showing off their tattoos and their muscles? It's abominable. My soul. Young people are either confused or they're completely deceived about what it really means to be a disciple of Christ. I look at some of these young people that we know in other churches and they're just completely lost about what to do with their life. They're completely convinced and have been since they were born that they got to do something and they got to be somebody and they got to produce some great work or something. Or they just don't count. They're a failure and they ain't no good. They've been programmed from a child to find the will of God for your life. (laughs) Which means what branch of the ministry you're going to be in. (laughs) Just right on target. What great work of God are they going to build somewhere? What the young people should be being taught is how to love God and how to love others more than themselves and let God decide what to do with them. But the first order of business is charity toward God and toward other people. That is it. Nothing else counts if it's not done from that motive. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across to you? Why witness to somebody if you don't have charity 
It's just cold, mechanical junk that does more harm than it does good. Charity's the more excellent way. That's what he's talking about here. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Yet I show thee a more excellent way. Chapter 13. <laughs> it's a universal language that don't need the gift of tongues to express itself. A preacher may be able to preach heaven down and hell right up out of the ground, but if it's not done purely from a motive of love, it doesn't count for yes. nothing, and God's not in it. A person can give all the have, and even give their body to be burned with the wrong motive. Think about that for a minute. You can do that, do that out of pride. Yeah. From a motive of pride. Yes, sir, I sure can. <clears throat> and it all be for naught. It is nothing, he said. It's nothing. Giving your body to be burned if you have not charity. There are people who are standing in front of Christ as the judge one day. And they're going to hear these words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's it. Charity. It's why we do everything we do. That's the heart of the whole thing. Now about it, faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Greater than faith. If faith can move a mountain, what can charity do? It's greater than faith. It's greater than hope. He makes it real plain. He don't mince any words. He don't leave you wondering. I mean, he just the Bible here spells it out so plainly that we cannot miss it. Why you come to church? Why do you want to call yourself a Christian? Why do you want to do what you do? Why do you give what you give? The reason we don't have many people going to mission fields is because we don't have many people living from a motive of charity. Don't do nothing about charity. What's in it for me? That's the... What am I going to get out of this? What are people going to say about me? It's unthinkable unless I can work all out all the details about me first so that I know that I'm taken care of. You know, We can't trust God. People used to take off and go and trust God. Now it's all got to be, you know, I mean, everything's got to be on paper and everything's got to be so-so. Most mission boards won't let a missionary go to the field until they have a certain amount of support that they prescribe, you know, per month. Fact. Been there. Know that. Yep. So, well, that's just wisdom. Well, maybe so, but where's God? And what are we doing this for anyway? You don't have to do something. You don't have to be something, somebody, to be a Christian, to be a good Christian. Which Christians are going to make an everlasting mark on eternity. 
the ones who love and do things out of charity are the ones who build all these great works, they call it for God, and, and hate instead of love. And I've seen it just the way it is a lot of times. It's either or. Paul said, I'm willing to spend and be spent for you and for the gospel. He didn't care what happened to him. He just cared about his dearly beloved brethren and God. And if he died today, it didn't matter to him. If nobody ever knew his name, it didn't matter to him. He didn't do anything for show or to be seen or to make a name for himself. And that's a rare thing in the time we're living in. But it's still just as purely the truth as it was then. Think about it. Think about what you do. Why you do it. Is it love for God first? Or is it love for me? Really. And mine. Yeah. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What does that mean? It's all tied in with what we're talking about right here. See, we know all these things that Jesus told us. We know all the other things written in the Bible, but somehow we never string them together right. It's just, oh, this over here, that's over there. We look at this, but we're not looking at that. And then we go over here and look at this, but we're not looking back at that. And we don't hold it all together at once. And it's really very simple when you get right down to it. We just nailed it here tonight. Charity. Without even going through chapter 13 and, and dissecting every word and all of the parts and everything. We all know that. We know what it says about charity. But it's the application. It's the application. Amen. Father, thank you for the Word of God. So clear. It's just, we ought to just be ashamed of ourselves for being so blind, so dull of hearing, so slow to understand, and slow to obey. Lord, help us. It's so simple that a child need not err therein, the way. And yet we just err and err and err. And we just, Lord, we need you, Spirit of God, to tighten the reins on us in this matter. Make us sensitive about these things that we do, say, desire. Lord, help us to work from everything from this motive of charity. We're going to be judged by how we love, not what we do so much. Not the things we do for you, but how we love you. Help us to understand it, Lord. Pray you'd make it clear to those that hear in Jesus' name. Amen.